0: and click on the Building Fund tab. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Together, let's prepare for an amazing tomorrow. Thanks and God bless. Well, we are continuing through the book of Jonah, and we are going to end chapter 1, verse 17, and move into chapter 2. And I think as we get started, it's important again to understand that this is a very unique book and that even though Jonah is considered a prophet, the whole book is in a sense a parable. It's telling a story. And this morning, I'm going to be talking about gangster movies, about poetry, about dating, and about Cheerios and children, okay? (laughs) Okay. Read with me chapter 1, verse 17. It says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Karl Barth, a theologian, was asked by a woman if he believed that the serpent in Genesis, whether it actually spoke or not, and he is said to have responded to her and say, Ma'am, it doesn't matter whether the serpent spoke or not. What matters is what the serpent said. And I think that is something, I'll let that sink for a while. I think that is an important thing as we move through this book. People will ask, well, do you believe that Jonah was all actually swallowed by a great fish or not? That is not the point that is trying to be made here. Whether you believe that or not isn't as important as what is coming from this story. And, and so I want to lay that here so that there aren't any roadblocks. Wherever you are coming from, there is something else that is taking place in this story that we are wanting to learn. When I was younger, I used to love gangster movies, right? With James Cagney and now I mean they're still going whether it be the Sopranos whether it be you know Peaky Blinders you know I don't know what movies you guys are into but these gangster movies and what notoriously happens is someone in the gang gets caught. Right. He, he gets thrown or, or given to the other gang or the coppers take him right in the olden days. Right. And, and then the whole idea is, you know, they're going to they're going to put the screws to him and they're going to make him squeal or he's going to sing like a bird. What does that mean? It means he's going to talk. You know, the pressure upon him is going to produce something out of him. And really, what we're seeing here take place in this is the pressure that is going to be happening in Jonah's life during this three days in the belly of this fish is producing something from him. And what it's producing is actually a. a, A song, it's a poem that comes through all of chapter two. And and you start thinking, well, that's a strange thing to happen when you're in a fish. And, you know, because it's kind of in a past tense, I don't think he was in there in the belly of the fish taking notes, thinking, oh, I've got this in mind. I'm going to jot this down while he was there. But we see that some of the things that come up are actually. There are lines from the Psalms. There there are these lyrics that he has learned that start to rehearse in his mind through this time. And then as he recounts this afterwards, it becomes what we are reading here. And so read with me chapter 2 of Jonah. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. "'Out of the belly of Sheol he, I cried, and you heard my voice. "'For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, "'and the floods surrounded me. "'All your waves and your billows passed over me. "'Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. "'Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple.'" The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me up, my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. You know you've had a hard time when the good news is you're vomited out of a fish onto dry land, okay? What happened to you that was good today? Well, this. Okay, what happened that was bad, right? And so what we see here is that this story that we're in part, it starts off with the Lord appointed a great fish. And we see this idea of appointed happen three times in this story. It's something that each time refers to a specific action that God took with Jonah. And as it's taking place, we see that it is pushing the story forward as God's hand is a a part of this story. You know, that he would start to respond in poetry is, is kind of strange, isn't it? Here is this story that is so just filled with, illustration and imagery and we see that it takes form in poetry and isn't it curious that so much of scripture is poetry or songs why is that why would so much of the Bible unfold in songs and in poetry and We know it from things like the Lord is my shepherd or he's my rock, my fortress, my deliverer or hide me beneath the shadow of your wings. You see, what poetry does is it connects emotion to words. It helps paint a picture so that we have a a deeper understanding of what's going on. It's one thing to talk to someone about, oh yeah, you know, my back hurts. But when you say it's killing me. It's excruciating. It gives this dynamic to it. And really, that's what we start to see in this story. It says, out of the belly of Sheol I cried. It, it is more than what was just happening. It is from this depth that this is taking place. Okay? We, we see from verse 3 that this poem is about a deep situation. It says he was cast into the deep. The heart of the seas, the floods surrounded me, waves passed over me. It's trying to paint this picture of being overwhelmed. And I wonder if any of you can relate to any of those illustrations of being overwhelmed, to feel like you're drowning in a situation, to feel like you're in the depths of a grave that you have been taken hold of by a situation where that situation now has laid hold of you and it seems like your life is being defined by that situation because that's where the story is taking place. That is where it is coming from. It is coming from this illustrative point where it is just overwhelming. The pressure that he feels is something that has taken hold of his life. And when you're in the thick of it, isn't that what it feels like? When you're in the midst of some kind of problem, that problem becomes everything that you focus on. You get up in the morning and it's there to greet you. You go to work, but it drives there with you. You come home and it greets you at the door. This problem now becomes such a part of your life, it's like you're in the ocean and the problem is the sea and it's carrying you back and forth. And you see, this is the place where something is produced. You see, everybody knows how to pray. It just takes pressure sometimes to produce it. How many times when something situation happens in your life your first words are oh god or when you find out you or a friend has cancer all of a sudden it's oh lord what what's going oh god don't let this happen to me all of a sudden something starts coming from your life that was always there it just took the pressure to bring it out for you to in a sense start singing like a bird But maybe it didn't sound like singing. Maybe it sounded like squealing at first. But that's what we see taking place here with Jonah. In verse 4, he says, Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet shall I again look upon your holy temple. Driven away from your sight has the idea that if God can't see me, then I'm as good as dead because God is the one who gives life. And if I'm away from his sight, then I am as good as dead. That's the the sense that the poet is trying to bring about here. But then he says, yet shall I look again. I am going to now make the turn. Now remember, Jonah is here because of what he did. He chose to go away from God. And so really this is steps that have, been laid by him that brought him to this place. But we know that God was involved with it, that God appointed these things, but it's in unison with what Jonah has done. But he sees now that God has to be looked to because he has wandered from him. But if he's out of his sight, then he's as good as dead. You know, dating is a, a difficult thing. When you're dating, there's so many pressures that are on you, right? I, I'm so glad that I'm not dating. I'm so glad that I'm married and don't have to date right now because I, I remember the pressure of having to make that impression. I want her to like me, so I've got to lie and make myself look good. You know, I, I've, got to, I've got to kind of cover up who I really am. I've got to ease her in slowly. Otherwise, I'll scare her away, you know. And so there's these things that happen when you go on dates. I can remember some of our first dates and going out and then going to a restaurant and realizing the restaurant was more than I could afford, you know, those kinds of things. And really your perception takes you into this relationship, how you see the other person. There was one time when I thought Corrine was going to break up with me because she was so distant. The whole week, she was like distant. I like call, hey, you want to get together? I'm busy. It's like, you're busy? What are you doing? I've just got some things. That sounds sketchy. You know, what's going on? And and so I started freaking out and thinking, she doesn't like me anymore. She's going to break up with me. And then finally, we hadn't seen each other like for a few days. And finally, we're going to get together on a Saturday or something like that. And I'm sure she's going to break up with me. So I'm kind of gearing myself up for it. And my truck broke down on the way there, which gave me more thought This is why she wants to break. My truck doesn't even work. How can I go somewhere? She she hates me, you know. And so I'm having this conversation in my mind. And I finally get there and I open the door and I'm expecting the worst. I mean, I'm kind of bracing myself for this bad news. I go in there, open the door, and there's about 30 people that yell out, Surprise! And it's a birthday party for me that she had been putting on for me. Yes, I feel terrible about it still. Here I've been thinking she's been distant and really what she'd been doing is preparing something, but my perception affected the way I felt the whole time through that. And you see, if you go out to dinner and you sit at the table and you're supposed to meet your girlfriend or boyfriend at 7 o'clock and 7.45 rolls around and they're not there, you start thinking something, or you should. And how you see that relationship will determine... What your emotions do. He forgot. You're angry because they forgot that they made a date with me. And so now you're angry. She stood me up. She doesn't like me, wants to break up. Now you're hurt because you perceive the relationship in that way. So you think something's going to happen. Maybe they got in an accident. Now you're worried because your relationship says, no, they're not going to do that to me, so maybe something happened to them. Now I'm concerned. You think she's working late so that she can make money to pay for the dinner and take me to the movies later. And now you're excited. You're delusional, but you're excited. You see, your perception controls the emotion. How you feel about the relationship is going to determine where that moves you in the relationship. And really, the same thing is true with God. What are we producing in the crisis of our lives depends on the perception we have of God. If God is sovereign and just wants what he wants without empathy towards us, then it's going to move us to a distant place so that when we find out the bad news, oh God, how could you? If our perception of God is that of a father who actually cares, then when something happens to us, it is actually going to push us to God based on our perception of God in the first place. And so the circumstances, though the same, we respond to the relationship that we have. That's what moves us in the circumstances. Where you see your God in the time of suffering will determine where you go. Where you see God in your relationship will determine where you go when the pressure comes on your life. It does it with family. It does it with anyone who you would be close to. And it's important to see that. In verse 7, we see that he remembers, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to me in your holy temple. He opened up the conversation. He remembered, which means he brought into the present moment an awareness. I remembered, I'm going to bring my awareness into this focal point. It is something that I'm going to take charge of and now put into my focus. To take the mind back can begin the journey back. When I found out it was a surprise party for me, I was able to take that moment and say, you're an idiot and start to take back what had happened in my emotion throughout that day when I thought she was going to break up with me. Why? Because I was able to now remember all those things were leading to this, okay, I need to see things differently now. My prayer is the first step in returning to God. A prayer to God is a step towards God, whatever that prayer is. And what God is wanting is genuine. He's not wanting a scripted prayer. He's wanting something that's genuine. As he goes on in verse 8, it says, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. The word idols is actually not in the Hebrew text at all. It was put there because it is so often used with the idea of something being vain or something not having value to it, okay? Emptiness, nothingness. But it actually would be better to say an empty illusion. It could go like this. Those who cling to their empty illusions forfeit the real compassion God has for them. Those who forfeit empty illusions or those who embrace the empty illusion forfeit the real compassion that God has for them. Sometimes we want to cling to an illusion. What is the illusion? That I can actually run away from God. That's the whole point of this story. Jonah was running away from God. He found his life in a place where there was pressure. He said, well, maybe I can look back. That was his journey back. And you see, he was clinging to an empty illusion. And by clinging to that, he had made himself feel that the presence of God was far away. And that's what happens if we hold on to that illusion. And we see that at this point he is put to a place of response and what comes from him is actually worship. Worship is the response to God, not the requirement to please God. It is something that happens when we acknowledge God in our situation. That's what worship is. It's not necessarily some, again, beautiful sound that we're able to sing. It's not necessarily eloquent words. Some of the most powerful prayers I've heard have come from children that were just so sincere, so honest, that it just takes away all the ideas that you have that you would want to posture before God and to make him think, what, you're doing great? Wow, that was a really magnificent phrasing there. I'm going to, move God with my eloquent words? No, I'm I'm moving myself. And so worship is actually the response to God with what is happening. And and remember, this is where the episode ended with the, the sailors in the last chapter where they began to worship God and now it's actually picking up here, but it's actually going even deeper. You see, it's where Jonah's psalm starts to resolve is in this idea of, I will acknowledge you in my life. And it's important to see that, you see, Jonah wasn't being punished. He was actually being wooed by God to acknowledge that I have something good for you. When you run away from me, you are running into a place of despair. But if you will turn to me, you will find that I am there waiting for you. And so God is trying to pull him back. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7, it says, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as children. See, the whole point of Christ coming was to give us an expression of God that we could hold on to, one of endearing, that I am not looking at you as... Just, you know, meaningless. I'm looking at you as a value that I will give my life for you. Greater love has no one than this. Then they would lay a life down for his friends and I call you my friends. You see, to have this understanding of God, this perception changes how we live and how we move forward. Again, it's not God is out to make me do things and he's out to squash me with the difficulties until I praise him and do what he wants. No, it is God is loving me. And when I run, I am heading down this path where it is desperate and it is lone, it is empty. And when I turn to him, then the reality of who he is and his love for me starts to become something I can embrace. And so the whole story moves into this place where now God is accessible, but he was always there. Jonah just had to turn. He just had to look. And it took him three days, three nights in the belly of this fish. I recommend you do it sooner, right? So that the relationship and the perception can change. It doesn't mean the cancer will go away doesn't mean the difficulties end but it's so much nicer knowing that the person actually cares than to think they're breaking up with you you know my grandson he's so much fun to watch he's just over one year old now and and, and you know you put food on his tray for the high chair and sometimes he eats it but sometimes he likes to throw it. And, and it's just kind of funny because he'll take it and he'll look at it and instead of putting it in his mouth, he throws it, but he likes to see where it goes. <laughs> like, and my daughter's dog loves him, right? She, she hovers around that high chair and she's like, this kid is from God. You know, what I mean, <laughs> food from heaven, it comes all the time. And I I remember doing that with the kids where we'd put Cheerios on their things and then we'd find Cheerios everywhere, forever. And Cheerios, I found out, they're mostly sugar. Did you guys know that? I thought they were like, you know, oh, these are great for you. Yeah, they're great for them. Hyper, uh, you know, boom, get some sugar. But they would take this and they'd eat some and then they'd throw it and we'd find it in their clothes, we'd find it in the chair, we'd find it in the car, we'd find it in their shoes. There'd be Cheerios everywhere because they would take it and they would start to throw it. They're trying to make this, you know, interesting. If I'm going to eat this stuff, I'm going to have fun with it. What if we still did that, right? We'd go to the restaurant. And, and I started thinking about, you know, kids just do those things, and we try and teach them, no, don't do that, so that we don't have to clean it up. No, don't throw that. Don't throw that. You know, no, give the bottle, you know, drink the bottle, throw it. Here, here's the bottle, throw it. It's like, why? Why am I doing this, you know? They just keep throwing it and throwing it, You know, we try and teach them not to, but the whole point is to help them to grow up so that they can eat for themselves, so that they can take care of themselves. The point isn't to make them do what we want. How would it be as your child start growing up, you started following them, and they started saying, oh, I hope I don't make a mess today. Oh, help me not to make mom or help me not to make dad angry with me. Oh, I hope I don't pick my nose because I know mom really freaks out when I pick my nose. She always goes, Ew, what are you doing? I I don't want to pick my nose today because it will really make mom mad. And what if you eavesdropped on your kid and his prayer was, Oh, God, please don't let me make mom mad. Please don't let me pick my nose. Please don't let me make a mess. Please don't let me forget to clean up my toys. You would start to think, Oh, my gosh, this poor kid is, is so pressured by the things they can't do and the things that i want for them to do that they can't be a kid they can't enjoy themselves they can't just have fun i love watching him throw the food right now now when he's 16 i ain't gonna like it so much right but one year old go for it buddy see how far that waffle will fly Because that's the age you are, and I want you to know that that's not a big deal. My love for you isn't based on whether you throw your food or not. It's just because I love you. And so many times I think we have gotten this impression that God only loves us when we're not throwing our food. That he only loves us when things are according to his plan. And so, so many people spend their life so obsessed with, I better not do this and I better do this. And, oh, I didn't go to church this week or this year. I didn't go, you know, I didn't read my Bible today or this year. You know, I didn't do these things. And so if I don't do these things, then God is going to look at me and say, oh, no, 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 that's wrong. And it's just not the case. What I love more than anything is when my kids, even now that they're grown, come and give me a hug. Not because I said, hey, I didn't get my hug today. It's Sunday morning, it's 1030, you're supposed to hug me. Right? No, it's when I see them and I haven't seen them and I get a hug and they say, I love you, dad. I could live there. I'm telling you, I could live in those moments. Those are the best moments of my life. Those times embracing my children and sharing the love that I have for them and the love that they have for me. That's what I long for. And see, this is what God has been waiting for. Just look to me and I am here. And I am looking for you. this narrative shifts towards the end from a, a literature that requires us to kind of do some skills in our reading. Because a psalm and a, a poem or a prayer like Jonah's, it, it's a work of art. It's something that's beautiful to read because it's meant to emotionally grab hold of us. You see, these are things that we need to understand. Not that we always have to have beautiful prayers, but that we give serious thought to the importance of our conversation with God, whatever that conversation is. Because what we want is to close the distance between us and God by deciding to draw near to Him. There's a book called Gorillas of Grace, Prayers for the Battle by Ted Lauder. I want to share something from that book. He says, how shall I pray? Are tears prayers, Lord? Are screams prayers or groans or, or sighs or curses? Can trembling hands be lifted to you or clenched fists or the cold sweat that trickles down my back? Are the cramps that knot my stomach? Will you accept my prayers, Lord, my real prayers, rooted in the muck and mud and rock of my life? And not just the pretty, cut flower, gracefully arranged bouquet of words. Will you accept me, Lord, as I really am? Messed up mixture of glory and grime. And the answer in our story is yes. And if I can leave you with anything this morning, it's wherever you are at, the answer to that question, can I really talk to you, God, with where I'm at? The answer is yes. But you don't know what I'm involved with. You don't know how deep the pit is. He does, and the answer is still you've been throwing your Cheerios for a long time and maybe your perception has been that God wants to break up with you but the truth is he wants to throw a party for you and any time you will turn to him he will be there waiting let's pray Lord help Me, help us not to reduce you to a theology of do's and don'ts, rights and wrongs. Help our perception of you to be one that is accurate according to what you have displayed most clearly in Christ. And I pray, Father, for any misconceptions that we have, any perceptions of you that have been inaccurate, that have led us to conclusions that aren't true. May we let them go. May we open the door and may we be surprised of what you've been doing all along, that you haven't been punishing us that all the squeezing in life has been causing our heart to sing. We just didn't know it. And that the words that come out are actually prayers. They're poems to you. Some of them are pretty hard and pretty broken. But you hear them for what they really are. So I pray, God, that we would allow who you really are to influence our relationship with you. And that we would close that distance, whatever that distance is. For our sake, in Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast.